If you have recently been laid off or looking for a new job or not happy in the job you are and thinking about maybe even starting your own business or you're like a solo entrepreneur or a consultant, something like that, I think you're really going to like this conversation. I got the sense that it was a valuable conversation to have with folks um, because my buddy uh, is in that situation. So I used the open mic session after the Tuesday show to have this conversation with an expert that is into this type of stuff, uh, my buddy Brett, and uh, the rest of the community. And what ensued, I think, is going to be really, really valuable to a lot of people. So I hope you enjoy this, and I hope that you take this as an opportunity to let me know what's important to you. And I'm happy to facilitate a discussion where you can get a whole bunch of advice from an expert or other people that have been there before. Enjoy. If you know how it is, then you know how it might be. But think what it would look like if you grow your own community. It ain't easy. That's why you're listening to hear experiences from others just like you and me. Welcome to the B2B Community Builder Podcast, a show that was started because if you can unlock the power of having a community around your business, then you will create a source of referrals, validation, marketing content, and product feedback that will be unbeatable. But who has time to think about building a community when you need to be making sure that your team has what it needs to succeed in serving clients and bringing in revenue? That is why we'll be talking to business leaders like you and I that have cracked the code on why the community play is so valuable, how to implement tactics that got them there while still serving short-term goals, and what they can teach you that they have mastered. This show is for you if you are a CEO, CMO, or simply a rainmaker that has realized that without a community, you are just a commodity, but haven't figured out how to add it to your infinite list of priorities. This show is for you if you are a community professional or trying to be a community professional that is trying to convince leadership about the need to invest in a community strategy. This show is not for you if you think transactions are more valuable than relationships. I am your host and chief executive connector, Pablo Gonzalez, co-founder of BeTheStage.Live, a marketing company that specializes in relationship-driven growth. I invented the relationship flywheel and hopefully... I'm your new best friend. So smash that subscribe button, leave a rating when you do, and get ready to plug into the power of community creation for business development. Let's go. So Brett, I gave you some very, I gave you very specific advice, right? I said, I have a friend who is in between jobs, looking for an opportunity, but also building their own practice on the side. And you as somebody that is an expert on like breaking corporate shackles, can you give us some, like from your from your perspective, it's 2023, there's been all these tech layoffs, you find yourself with this like choice of going off on your own or just like fully looking for a job, what advice would you give to someone that's in that, in that scenario? And then maybe we can all kind of like jam off of that. Don't look for a job. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Everybody's going to have their own journey. No two journeys are the same, but yeah, just a little... The, context, right? So four years ago, I left corporate, which was actually management consulting at that point in time, and didn't realize what a big, bad world it is out there with folks that I like to call experience, right? So 15, 20, 25 years plus in corporate 
we have in-demand skills. And what I didn't realize was there is a underground movement of folks that have gone independent, right? And so I think the conventional wisdom is you had to use to build it. You want to go build Google or Microsoft or build some big company, or you had to build a you know uh, an e-commerce shop online and be able to sell. But the fact is our skills are in demand, especially in the mid-market and the small market, they can't afford to hire somebody with that experience full-time. All of a sudden, they can get you access to you, at least the good parts, the strategy, and some of the execution on a part-time basis. It's kind of a win-win for both. And what I didn't realize when I started was there was actually a community for fractionals, and those are the folks that are literally fractionally leadership roles. And this could be anything from manufacturing operations through HR to what used to be just CMOs and chief revenue officers. Then I also uncovered there's a full market out there for consultants, right? That are building one-man consulting shops. They love the area of consulting, getting their hands dirty, doing that work and building agencies. And then you know, third, you know, a hybrid, right? You can build a services business, you know, there's coaching, there's a whole host of things. So what I'm really trying to show people is what's possible. And with the podcast, we bring on different people that have made the journey some 10 years ago, some six months ago. And basically with the kind of taking the tagline of, man, it's easier to find your first customer than it is your next job. And again, if you're happy in corporate and like what you're doing, more power to you, keep keep doing it. But if you're not fulfilled or you're not happy, you know, there's never been a better opportunity for folks to to find that path, right? The, the three Fs, freedom, flexibility, and financial independence. And what is that balance to you? And I know it can be scary and difficult, but I've kind of made it my mission to, to help people, you know, find that path that makes the most sense to them. So like I said, better late than never for me, but keeps me energized. <laughs> That's awesome, man. So it's like, as as I look at the screen, we are all a bunch of consultants or, you know, like experts, like we're all either small businesses or people that are in big businesses with one foot in each or folks that are kind of like debating whether or not to do this fractionalization thing. Right. So as you, as you painted it, right. Like there is a, there's a market for it, right. Like there is businesses that are requiring these services that like the situation of just like not hiring you full time, but, you know, kind of like using you as a consultant, you know, employing you as a consultant and your expertise. And you think that it's good for the goose and the gander. What are, what are your, I don't know, man, what's, if someone, if someone is with one foot in both, is there, is there any downside to going too hard at one side or the other? Have you seen anybody be able to like do both successfully or any best practices in that? I think you can do both right back to the old idea of a side hustle. The only challenge with the side hustle is you kind of have to be all in, right? You just can't try to do it part-time and figure out if this is the right path for you or not. But what I'm I'm definitely seeing is the opportunity. You mentioned it, right? Because a lot of companies, they can't hire FTEs, but they can, they have consulting dollars so they can bring you in to, to help you do that. Mm-hmm. And I think where... What I encourage folks, if you're not 100% in, like I just met with a guy I've known for for 30 years, runs sales organizations of all sizes, 
was running a thing, the entire management team got let go and a change of basically ownership. And then he decided he was going back into corporate one more time. I'm like, are you sure you want to do corporate one more time? And then I just laid out what, what the possibilities are, right? And if you're having conversations, networking with people, if you let people know like, yeah, I'm a, a fractional chief revenue officer. I can go in and help companies two months, three months, six months, you know, build out whatever infrastructure and really encourage people to have a kind of a plan and focus on one thing to get started. Because if you tell somebody when you're networking, you do six things, they'll never remember any of it. Right. So this is the type of company that I can do. This is how I've helped them build that. And as you're networking for your next job, just throw it out to your network too, that, hey, you're open to this type of fractional and just to see. So he ended up going back into the, the corporate world, but he's already starting to build a plan and a strategy that either when he's ready to get out or doesn't like what's going on, that he can, he can, he'll be ready to make that, that move. Cool. Makes sense, man. Listen, I, I, the reason why I like this conversation so much is a, I think we're in this moment right now where people that are employed could easily lose their job in the next six months. And people that have ongoing, like small businesses might be looking at going in house, you know, for someone in the next month for, for security. Right. I know that I talked to a lot of folks that ask me, man, how did, how did you know, how did you know to, to go for it or whatever? And, and the truth is I've never really been a purposeful entrepreneur, right? Like for me, it's been, I've been somewhere something happens where my circumstance changes. And instead of going out to get a job, I start a business, I get it to a certain point. You know, my first time around was I was in the building construction industry from, you know, 2003 to 2008, building track homes in California that went to hell in the, in the crisis, but I had become a green building expert. So I moved back to Miami with the specializations that I had from California and green building, started a green building consulting company, got a couple of clients before I could get a job specifically in that two years later, went in-house as director of sustainability for a big hospital builder. And then, you know, after that, it was you know, I I developed these theses on community creation. I got a job in like startup land, which allowed me to just like get my feet wet. And a year after that, I realized that the partnership I made wasn't wasn't where I wanted to be. So again, early 2019, I took like a 90 day purposeful pause. I went to four conferences and just kind of like iterated through the stuff that I believed, and that got me in the door with what became my my future first clients. And I built this business on the back of that. But even right now, where this business is at, I, I still get people checking to see like, man, would you ever go back in house? Would you not? So from, from your perspective of helping people, is that normal that you don't have to necessarily, if you say you're going to be an entrepreneur, you know, do, do you see a lot of people that go back and forth or are most people like they either go or they don't kind of thing? Yeah, I think when the I think the times have changed, right? Because in my thirty years in the corporate, I, I made a couple of jumps out to start a business or run a business, and then ultimately went ended up going back for the the corporate safety net, right? The benefits are there. We've got that type of a thing. It was comfortable, but what I found through this journey, and it was circumstances. It wasn't like I was just going, "Hey, I've got this great plan of how I'm going to go solo and build this." It was, you know, three years of figuring out how it went, what, what makes the most sense. But, but at the end of the day, what I found was having those conversations and the companies that need people and that support, in most cases, you can have two fractional customers 
and be making more money than what you were making in your corporate job, right? And you know, insurance, I saw somebody posted out there is still an issue because it's still the most expensive expense I have is is paying that soul. I'm sure everybody that's in that is is in that same boat. So somebody's got to figure that out eventually. But the freedom of the revenue in order to do that, you know, and quite honestly, I found it easier to have conversations with business owners about help than it was interviewing unless I had an in at some company somewhere. I probably did 50 interviews over my my corporate career. So didn't answer the, the long answer to your question. Yeah, you can always go back, right? I think that's what people think that, oh my God, I'm going solo. It's a high wire, you know, the tightrope between two skyscrapers. And the fact is you're you're 18 inches off the ground. If you do it, you don't like it, you're not comfortable, you know, having those conversations or you're not finding the type of work, you can go back and, and get that next job. So it's not like you're doing this forever and head out. I would encourage you to give it a chance. You might actually really like it once you get into it. But yeah, that, that's why there's really no downside to it. That's why I encourage people, hey, you've got options. If you're looking for a job, try both, right? Put a plan together. What are you looking for? What is the work you really like to do? What is it you really want to get out of you know, the career and, and life without getting too far down that path? But yeah, I think, I think what I, the biggest surprise is the opportunity that's out there for, for fractional and consulting work. And even I think even the larger B2B companies, again, they have that 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 rule of all the companies I've ever worked for. Yeah, budget freeze. We can't hire anybody, but we have budget to bring people in to help. And guess who the people they're bringing in to help is people with the, the experience and the skill sets to do it. So it's really just putting a little bit of, and you don't have to build out a business. You don't need the LLC. You don't need a business name, right? In order to get started with this process. I had somebody on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, she was in healthcare, project management, program management for 20 years, ended up going to work for a law office that needed help with, you know, project management. You know, she's like, I still don't have a name for my company or what I'm doing, but she ended up with two clients before, before it even got started. So so I think it's just the unknown and the more awareness that we can create. Again, that people love corporate, stay there. That, that's, you know, God bless you. It just, it wasn't for me anymore. Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Cheryl, um, you I'm have, just going to chime in. Go ahead, Mike. Brett's comments, because I've been doing some fractional work. I'm doing fractional work right now for a fintech. So just a couple of comments. One, you don't, yeah, you don't necessarily, and I have no desire to go back to corporate. I'd sooner put a bullet in my head than do so. Been there, done that, learned a lot. No, thank you. Being a fractional can have a lot of benefits, particularly if you can have it as a part-time so that you can work on your business. So I'm head of go-to-market strategy at a fintech three days a week. I do a lot of work directly with the MD and the CEO. They do pay me quite well. So it's three days a week. I'm working with them. I'm driving things, building their team. It's for a very finite point, though. I think the CEO have delusions that I'm going to stay on longer beyond the ideation phase. That's not going to happen. But it's really good because it can be good from a revenue perspective. It keeps me current and very real. One of the reasons that I was brought on by the CEO is because, Michael, you've been there, done that, you are doing it. So there is that win-win in terms of, in addition to remuneration, you're able to have your feet on the ground. I'm able to be current. I'm able to listen. I'm able to see what works, what's needed, and how to take that forward with the rest of my practice and helping members of my community, et cetera, that way. I think there's a lot of opportunities for fractional, but you will have to have some sort of credibility markers in the marketplace for people to know that 
okay, you know, you know, Brett, whoever, you know, you are the person that I want. I can see from your experience on LinkedIn or other things that you have done that you can deliver, deliver for me. So you don't necessarily have to have a shingle, a business set up, but you will need to have credibility marker to demonstrate, to show that you can deliver and you can do what they need. The days of no one gets fired for hiring IBM are over. I got my first consulting gig because one of the big consulting firms did a massive screw up on their segmentation and customer strategy. And the global marketing director said to me, this was back in 2011, Michael, you couldn't possibly do anything worse than the amount of money I paid for this piece of work. So there's lots of opportunities, but yeah, you do have to have the skills, the experience. You do have to have some credibility markers, having some good networks as well that you can leverage on that can often help lead you in the right direction. But yeah, I, I, I'm I'm a big advocate of it. As a, Brett and I have talked about, it can be part of your revenue model. So my revenue model is very much my consulting business. I'm going to do the speaking in the community, but I do do these fractional gigs. I also have a consulting firm, a project project management office in Melbourne. I am their strategy advisor. That's much more ad hoc, much less. It's not as consistent, but these things are good from a revenue standpoint. And as my developing and honing my skills as an expert, it has been a win-win. So yeah, so I'm a big advocate for it. And I've seen folks go from being independent, fractional to go back into corporate, and it has only benefited them because they've amassed further skills and experience that has allowed them to go back into corporate yeah. at better, higher levels. Kudos to them, better them than me. But I do know a couple of people who did that and it, and they were much better and much further in their career for it. So I just wanted to yeah. put in a few of those anecdotes there. Good, good perspective. I want to get back to the credibility markers in a second, because I want to have a conversation about that. But Cheryl, you had something. And then I also want to, I want JP, JD to chime in as well. Well, Brett, work with, with startups have mentored them since 2016. And so one of the first questions we always ask was, is this a good idea or a good business right before you you move into something? So there's some some work that has to be done. But I know here in our, our area, there are so many free resources for startup entities. Unfortunately, most of them don't get into strategy, which is why I started my business. But I regrouped it when these people aren't willing to pay what I'm worth. For strategy, they think marketing, no offense to those of you who are marketers, most of you will agree with me. I hope 100% of you that marketing is part of an overall strategy and it's not a strategy in and of itself because you've got to have the capacity and a lot of things lined up before you start marketing. But they don't want to pay for strategy. They'll go out and do a free little webinar and get bullet points and then develop it from there. And so being a fractional strategist has been a little bit challenging to come in and help people that are in the growth stage, trying to move through on that. And because of free resources, so many people moving into the consulting business that I've talked to have actually kind of repositioned, which is very difficult because most of us, like you, I have no desire to go back into corporate America. I've been there, done that. I've also worked for companies I've invested in. I don't really want to ever do that again either. It drives me nuts when I see what people are doing with my money. So, Brett, I want to put it back to you. How do you deal with that? How do you help people actually find what that market is that would be willing to pay? Yeah, it's a great question. I think where I kind of stumbled into it was the mid-market. Maybe not even mid-market, mid low end yeah, of the SMB. Mid. So not startup, but... Right. So that the company sense. I'm with right now, they had they do about two and a half million in revenue. All the business was mostly inbound and some referral. 
but they really want to grow. They want to take it to 10 million and they had no sales or marketing infrastructure in place. So it made sense to bring in somebody like me to help them kind of put that structure in there. And then when they get to the right revenue number, then they could bring somebody in. So yeah, startups, I love startups. Yeah. They, yes, <laughs> like the lack of money, you you can see the the opportunity that they have. And that's why I kind of like that, that mid-market SMB that that's kind of got some proof of concept. They've been around a bit and they just, they just don't know. I mean, you know, honestly, who has been an interesting lead driver is, you know, people in Vistage groups, right? Yes. And yes. I'm not mm-hmm. disparaging. If you love Vistage, great. If you don't, right. I, I think from a business standpoint, there's opportunities and he, Michael, you and I have talked about that in the past that they, they help each other with accountability and problem solving, but not from growing a business. And I think that that's where the area of opportunity is in that 2 million to 25, maybe million range that have the money, but don't have the expertise, but couldn't hire somebody like you or me or have the budget to bring in full-time, but all of a sudden they get a little bit of that benefit of helping them jumpstart what they're doing. Okay. Thank you for clarifying that. Because I thought, boy, how, how did you make that happen? So yeah, the mid-range is kind of where I'm going. People that aren't going to pay for like a full EOS implementation or other strategy, but yeah. they, and a lot don't actually, it's sad, don't even recognize that they need a strategy, which is even scarier because having no strategy is the worst strategy of all, but exactly. understand the components of it. So. Yeah. And I think the EOS is an interesting angle too, right? Because if, if they're in Vistage and they've got EOS, they're not afraid to spend money to solve their business problems, but they just may not have the right resources in-house to help them help them do that. Yeah. So haven't completely baked that out, but I think it's an interesting target market. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. For me, for me, when it comes to strategy, it's so... When it comes to intangible things, it's about making them tangible in some way, right? Like the, I, I've I've had a few people pay me just like hourly strategy consulting, but I've had way more people pay me for like something that's been prepackaged into something like whether it's like a class that you go through to be taught a strategy or a workshop that you get paid to go implement so that you give them strategy or like an experience where it's like, oh yeah, this is what we do. And it's pop, 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 pop. And the outcome is this. And after you go through that, then I then I start to get paid for strategy kind of thing like ongoing has been so it's like the framing it naming it and claiming it to me is a is a big piece of of getting paid for strategy JD you are I think you're the longest tenured entrepreneur on this call so I wonder from from your perspective when you were getting started you know you have a really solid speaking career you have clients that pay you ongoing strategy often right like any anything that you can shine into the equation from kind of like your early days to kind of when you crack the code of what of what was necessary for you to to stay as you know the solo flyer. All righty then. <laughs> can I just state that I'm a huge Ace Ventura fan? I don't want to be left out of any Ace yes. Ventura conversations, please. <laughs> I please. automatically love you. All right. You know, it's interesting. I'm going to circle back to a couple of things here because great. Great program, Pablo. It was like I was listening to my to myself speak because you're using some of the terms that I like in terms of the practice that I've had as a podcast guest and imploring my clients and working with them to position themselves as podcast guests. It's extremely valuable and it's a great medium 
to reach people on LinkedIn, especially if you can parse yourself out in 60 to second or 60 to 90 second audiograms, because that's about all that people can handle of you on LinkedIn because they're too busy scrolling to get past you. So if you can stop them in your, in your tracks, you've got a fighting chance to gain their attention, win their interest and et cetera, et cetera. And listening to Brett, who I sent an invitation to connect to, Brett, great, great content there from a couple of perspectives. On the one side, you're going to see a huge influx of entrepreneurs into the market yet again with these downsizings going on at at, at Google, at Metaverse, at, at Microsoft, and wherever they come from, from the big companies, because these folks are taking that corporate experience and they're going to look to parlay that as entrepreneurs. So that becomes a great podcast topic in and of itself is to talk with people who are, you know, to use the term recovering, recovering corporate contributors or people who are in corporate for 15, 20 years who now have this perspective that they're trying to incorporate or integrate into their coaching model. So I think you're seeing this incredible permutation going on of people who have stuck it out in corporate as long as they could or or got their walking papers and now basically screw it i'm doing what i want and i'm going to go talk about it and i'm going to coach other people through these types of things so podcast content especially for linkedin purposes in this area is going to be differ- a differentiator for many people and to the, the last point i wanted to make is and i'll i'll mention it as soon as i can reclaim it because i lost my train of thought but I'm going to get it back very quickly, I assure you. And that is, oh, I've just taken on a fractional CFO as a client. That's not monumental because I've had fractional C-levels before, but this is going to be different because there, there's a different level of maturity now about the fractional executive. And I think that it's really evolved. Brett, I think you'd agree with me that the role and how they try to kind of position themselves for opportunities is a whole lot different startups, companies that are making the move from small to mid, mids that are cracking the Fortune 5000. These are all shifts that are taking place, and it's going to become even more competitive for a CFO to install him or herself into these roles. So I'm interested in kind of exploring your podcast from a solopreneur standpoint, because I've got a a client I've just taken on, a guy I know, prominent in the area, good-natured guy, very dedicated guy, has no idea what the market will bear right now. Back to you in the studio. Vinny, you had a you had a great question. Why don't you why don't you ask it out loud and let's uh, I'd love to hear Brett's take on that or or yeah. Michael's take on that. And by the way folks, I don't mean to interrupt. I I'm late. I do have to leave. I have another Zoom. Pablo, these these virtual shows are great, man. You got to keep doing them. I you know what? I'm I just may. <laughs> hey, like I'm, I'm kind of liking it. <laughs> Bye folks. So this is related to a rant that Michael got to hear ad nauseum last time. And the fractional CMO kind of title also kind of concerns me because I feel like it's the same problem put in C-suite instead of lower down in the company. So I can probably share it later, but the whole idea is I hate the idea of being a full-stack marketer, full-stack developer, full-stack community manager, because in all reality, marketing, software development, and community management are departments. And by being a one-person department, 
Now you're going into this company and you're saying for one medium level sum, I can do all of the easy things in my industry. I can do the content development. I can do the SEO, but I can also do the hard things, building the entire measurement infrastructure, doing the coordination strategy, all of those things for the same price as the easy things. And because of that, you end up with three main problems. The first one being no one wants to invest in your personal learning because even though you're a full stack marketer, you're now advertising that you can do the thing. So why would they pay you to learn how to do the thing better? Second issue is that they don't pay you to do the hard things at a higher level than the easy things, which results in you losing out on money. And then the third issue is you're just the full stack marketer. You're the consultant they throw things at. So you don't have the power dynamics to really access the majority of the organization that you need. So with the fractional CMO, CFO, community management situation, you have the same problems, but this time you're in C-suite doing largely strategy-based stuff. And that results, I think, in a movement of the problem from issues of implementation to issues of strategy, specifically having to do with the scope of work. So you're coming in as a fractional and you're like, Yes, these are the specific things that I am here to do for this execution. Here's the here's the documentation that you can expect. You go in and then they're like, oh, but you're like a fractional of this job title who is supposed to wear all the hats. So we're just going to assume you wear all the hats now. Oof, that was a golden nugget right there. I'm going to have my team clip that and paste that across all my social media channels. So if you could just give this a pause right now go into the show notes and connect with me on whatever platform you like to follow me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, whatever you want to be a part of my life in connect with me there. I'm going to share that clip and you can share it with your friends so that they get the same lesson. It'll be adding value to their life. And while you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to the show. If you haven't already hit five star review, right? You don't have to leave a review. You just got to hit five stars. If you want to leave a review, cool. And maybe send the episode to your friend. That would be awesome. That's it. I'm done. Back to the show. Jenny, I'm going to jump in and I can only talk from my experience. And I've been doing this fractional thing for two, two times now. In relation to what JD says, I'm going in as a fractional executive head of go-to-market, not as a consultant. So I do drive strategy development. I'm advising how we're going to handle the ideation phase. I'm helping to build up, but I'm not expected to be the whipping boy to do all things. I spent a lot of my time with the MD and the CEO. I operate at that senior level as a strategy advisor. I will be getting other people to do some of the building, the doing, and so forth. Similarly, with the smaller project management consulting firm down in Melbourne, I am a strategy advisor. I go in and advise, and they pay me accordingly so, but I'm doing that strategy work that I want to be doing. Yes, I'm guiding some of the research and the analysis and guiding some of the listening with the agency, but I'm operating at that level. I'm not trying to be all things to all people wearing a gajillion hat. I'm wearing the hat as a strategist to drive right. strategy and planning and that and that only. And that's the only way I'm going to roll as a fractional is doing that. I'm not going to be all things to all people and you're right. going to pay me accordingly as such. So I guess it comes up to the opportunity, what comes to you, how do you approach it? And that's kind of my view and my vision, how I will continue on. With regards to the CEO wanting me to come on full-time, hell no, that's not going to happen. But if he wants me to continue on and we can come up with our 
reasonable, you know, continue with the two to three days a week because I quite like that. I'm in, out, I advise, I do what I need to do. He can do with all the other crap, then that's great. So fractional at a C level is different from being the consultant where I've been there when I was at Accenture and you were part of my language, the PowerPoint bitch, do this, do that. No, 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 been there, done that. At this fractional senior level with the skills and experience, I think if you get the right opportunities, and I guess I've been fortunate to have it twice now, it can be at the right level, the right kind of work where you get remunerated. It keeps me on the top of my game, in tune with my market on what's going on. So it can be a real win-win, but I refuse and I will not take those kinds of roles where it's like, oh, well, we, you're just commoditized and you can do everything and we're going to dump now. Been there, done that, not going to yeah, do it. And I guess that's the that's the purpose of my contention and my question, right? Like, I don't want to be that person, so I won't take on those opportunities. And I'm very strong about that fact. And then we have the scope of work signed. We have the contract signed. And all I am doing is implementing on strategy, advising on development, and then finding the people to do the thing. But then through the magic of scope creep, suddenly it's just assumed that I am doing those things. Yeah. And I think that's where you have to jump in and make sure the scope creep, you have to call them on it. Yeah. You have to call them on if you do get that, that scope creep. Yeah. You'll have to call them on it and be very clear and remind them what are the parameters and what you're supposed to be doing and where resources are short and yeah where the line is drawn, you have to call them on it. Yeah. Yeah. And I find myself having that conversation way too often. It just gets in the way of the work. Then maybe it's not the right kind of client then because a fractional is not the same thing. It's not the equivalent of just being another whipping boy consultant. It's a different, it should be quite different. Yeah, that's, that's all. Yeah, there are limits and boundaries and the two are quite different. should be quite yeah. different. And it gets when you're having the discussion into intent of the position, right? Like, like I put down part of my, when I brought in I, a client right now, I'm actually getting in and helping with operations work because they can't, God love them. I don't know. They're over capacity. And so they're beginning to fail. And they, the owner is like, I know I've got to change as well as these other people in order to make this move into where we can go. So I can come in and do some of the work for them. But the whole intent is how do I realign their team and help them understand because I have no dog in this hunt. I can call it like I see it very nicely, but challenge them to where they can realign as I'm teaching now what to do. The goal is to empower them so that eventually they don't need me at that level, but they will recommend me to somebody else or they'll bring me in for something else. I've never had the, I've never had the title fractional anything anywhere, but I do, we go very deep into, into like our clients, right? And I wish that Gina hadn't just left because Gina and I are always in this, like, I promise everything and I want to do everything for everybody. And Gina's like the one that holds the standards of, nah, brah, that's not in our scope. And so so it actually creates a really good dynamic between the two of us. And I want to say that that really helps, right? Like having the, um, and, and she's mentioned this in the past, she is, she's very much an integrator. So having somebody that is that that balance of like integrator that's willing to say no to balance that out and being able to blame somebody else for it helps a lot with that conversation. If you, without, without that role, what I have learned is that it is an ongoing conversation and it is an ongoing thing that comes with being that valuable to anybody and having very clear understanding of like what is and what isn't. And to a large extent, keeping track of it, right? Like what I do is I tell, I'll tell 
JWB or Rockway. Like I'm like, I'm always going to say yes first. And then we're going to figure out what we can't do. Right. So like I'll, I'll, I approach it from that standpoint. And then I do keep a certain tab of like, Hey, we're, we're this far into scope creep and it's about to get into, you know, like now that we've had this conversation a couple of times, let's talk about, are we going to up the scope? Are we not going to up the scope? If not, then we need to recede on this stuff. Cause I can't offer another thing. Right. So like, it's just kind of like one of these ongoing conversations and it's actually led to increasing scope and increasing my, and, and increasing the amount of revenue that I get per client. But it is kind of one of, I feel like that's, I don't know, Mike, Brett, maybe you can, maybe you can share, set some light on this, but like, it feels like it is the, it is the kind of like downside of that role is that you're always going to be in this conversation to a certain extent when you're doing it. It could be, and it, it, honestly, not that different from corporate, right? Well, that's really not my job, but nobody else can do it. So I'm going to do it. But yeah, so I learned the hard way, right? So my first engagement, I didn't even know what fractional was. And it was ended up being more of a consulting engagement, which is more, more fixed project, fixed time. Here's what we're going to accomplish. Where fractional is more ongoing with kind of a, a scope. And it just went all over the place. There was nobody accountable. And I just feel I'm like, you know what, next time I do this, this isn't the type of an engagement I'm looking for. And I think over time, I've gotten a little bit smarter too about vetting it up front where I had what I thought was going to be a really interesting client. Again, didn't have sales and marketing, needed the help, had a great conversation, 45 minutes, talk strategy, said, all right, here, I'm going to send you just my my approach or methodology to this kind of the you know crawl or walk, crawl or crawl, walk, run type of a thing went through it, laid it out. And she's like, wait, so you're not actually going to make phone calls and do business development? I'm like, no, I'm fairly certain we covered that. But, you know, I mean, it was just going to set the wrong expectation that I was not going to be the one that was getting on the phone and making the sales calls. We we're going to help set up the infrastructure to help do that. And so wasn't the right fit and and moved on. But yeah, it is. It's a battle. And I'll, I'll share one last example. So where I'm at now I was getting pulled more and more into some of what we were doing with the marketing. And that's one, wasn't necessarily what was in the scope and two, not necessarily my, my strength. So now I'm actually bringing in another fractional product marketer to help fill that gap where this company needs it. So this company is getting more and more comfortable with kind of part-time you know, expertise, if you will, as they're starting to build out. Now, over time, they can hire somebody and bring in and, and, and backfill. And that'll be part of what my role is to help identify replacements. But I think what the other piece I'll, as I keep rambling, is I'm starting to see an opportunity for multiple people, fractionals, to go into engagements together and say, hey, you don't just need this. I've got a vetted team or two or three people that we can come in and do this for this amount of time. And here's what you can expect from it, right? So we don't have to go through that that process. So I think it's still early. But I'm, I foresee more and more of, you know, call it the super friends model, right? Where we bring <laughs> people in for what they need and and prepackage some of that stuff. So I'm excited. I'm like I said, I'm I'm excited. It's still new, but to, to everybody's point, it beats the hell out of corporate. <laughs> I call I call that I got a guy. Yeah, I got a guy. <laughs> I'd like to say real quick, like I am a consultant. I've I have 35 years in the restaurant industry. And now I'm, I'm, I got out of being a, a corporate chef kind of feel. And the first thing I learned was no is my default. And, and cause the whole reason I got out of doing, as you guys say, kind of in the mix is, is that like, I didn't really have a, always have the power to say no. I think the, the real key for me has been to, to be super clear at every engagement 
about what it is I do and what it is I can offer. I happen to specialize in like system implementation. So if a, a small restaurant is like they're they're just bowling along and they're making money, but they don't know how much money, I go in and help them cost things out and get get little things in place, teach them how to create an order guide of all things. But the biggest thing for me has just been like to be clear about, you know, again, again, what it is I do. And every time it creeps within six weeks of working with my very first client, they offered me the the corporate chef job for them. And I, I didn't even blink. And when I looked at the man's looked the man in the eye and said, no. And he was like, wait, wait, you haven't thought about it yet. And I was like, I don't need, to. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't, you know? And then, you know, two weeks later, he comes back to me with, with another offer, you know, more money, better, better hours, better things. And I looked at him and I said, so for the second time, no, but let's now talk about how we can, like, if you want to increase what we're, what it is I'm doing for you, let's do that. But I don't know. I think that if we've, if you're, for me personally, if you're somebody who's decided to get out of the game, you've gotten out of the game so that you can hopefully make your own rules. And and I think that no matter what, that has to be like, that's first for me is no, I'm sorry. I don't do that. Actually, I don't work on Thursdays or whatever that may be, you know? And at first I was really scared to say things like that, but it got people going, Oh, well, but are you available? And I thought, Oh my gosh. What I did, what did I do? I just incorporated scarcity into my, in, into my, my job hunting or my, my outreach. And all of a sudden now I have three clients that want all of the want more from me. It's crazy. And awesome. I wanted to say one last thing is love any conversation around EOS. I'm just absolutely in love with it over the years. So there you go. Awesome, man. I'm a big fan of what you just said, Brett, the super friends thing, right? Like that is definitely something that we do, right? Like I definitely have once it, once it, and and maybe this might help you, Venia, right? But like, I've already been at the, at the place where like, once it leaves my scope, I know whose it is. So once people start getting too much into like asking me to do something that I don't want to do, I'm just like, oh no, no, no. Like, like, like Simon said, I have a person for that. And if you want that person you know, we can, I can introduce you to them kind of thing. And it's been a good way of getting business for both of us. One of the things, Brett, that I wanted to head back to, because I know this is definitely something that Tony and I have talked about is the, is the credibility signposts, right? Like, I think that if you have, if you have the experience and you've, you've had these like titles and, and stuff like that, that's one credibility signpost. But I think that there is in today's age, like there's like a bunch of other credibility signposts that one can make, right? Like having a podcast to me is a credibility standpoint, starting like a Shopify or Etsy store and like messing around with your own digital spend. If you're in the marketing space, right? Like whatever personal projects that you can create that are public, I feel like, feel like credibility signposts, but I would love to kick it to you and, and hear what you've heard of like, or what you see across the ecosystem of like best practices for credibility signposts when you haven't already been a CFO or a CMO or something like that? Yeah. I mean, it's a great question because that is the, the two fears that people have is like, I'm not a salesperson, so I don't know how I'm going to get clients, right? And that there's a path to do that. And the second is I don't have any success stories. And the fact is you do. And what you've done in your corporate role, the projects that you've run, even if 
five years, 10 years, you've accomplished a number of things. You just got to be super clear and be able to talk about those things when you have those meetings. The referral part now, once you do start to get customers, then that's absolutely super helpful. We get the referrals and doing what we do. We don't need 100 customers in order to be successful. We can do this with with a handful of people and and, and run a successful business. But but I think I, I like what you said about the... the uh, I don't know, secondary credibility, the podcast was huge because, you know, I can tell people that it's just not me, right? I was a practitioner for this many years, but I bring in thought leaders every week and tell me what's working and what's not working in the practice. And I incorporate those things into what I'm doing. But I do think being able to leverage what you've done in corporate, we got to be clear of what you've done. And it helps. And one last story. So when I was consulting with a, uh, Selling it was a $200 million company, family business, needed some help, but wanted reference, wanted to see the the history behind it. And I at that point didn't have it. So he actually called my old, you know, chief revenue officer who I had run sales for to talk about some of the processes and things that we had built in into that process. And sold the deal. Not conventional by any stretch of the imagination. You're not going to the website to see that. But I think there is ways around it to start to build what that credibility is. And just having a few referral partners and getting into networks like this. I love this concept. I've never even heard of it. You know, what you're running here. I think this is a, a fantastic idea. You know, the more people you get to know, the more people that can then vouch for you. Or was it uh, Simon said, you got a guy, right? So if you got a guy, somebody says they got a guy, you know, it's, it's still good to have the proof points and say who you've done it for. But, but I think we undervalue the work we've actually done on the corporate side that translates into the world. Because one of the biggest things that I found, especially maybe that stint in management consulting, tainted me a little bit that I thought everything had to go to level 3.0, right? Process 1.2.3, we got to no, man. What, what most of these companies are looking for is the 1.0, the fundamental pieces to get everything in place and not overcomplicating what we're doing. And so, again, being able to leverage that experience and taking it back, but being able to tell the story is is important. So I don't know if I actually answered your question, but... No, I think that's great, man. I, like, I, I agree with you. It's that story piece, right? Like, I can, I can really think of the, my inflection points, right? Like, going from Fortune 500, construction, knowing green building, and then moving back to Miami, it was like I leveraged an experience and a certification, but I went to a completely different space. Like we just, we just landed this commercial HVAC company and I was talking to my content strategy about like, this is how chillers and cooling fans work and blah, 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 blah. And she's like, how do you know this? I'm like past life. But for me, that moment when I jumped from, like I was like a middle manager for, for a fortune 500 company. I ran the orange County division of like a residential insulation company. And I got these like green building certifications. I moved back to Miami and my first client was like, a 45 story building that wanted to save on energy. I didn't know shit about like, it's a completely different world. Right. But like, it was just stories of, Hey, I understand building science. So like, if you, you know, know that energy is being put here and there, I can bring in experts that look at this one thing. And then I know how to kind of like tell that story and guide that contract. That was my first client there. Beyond that, going from the building world and to the startup marketing world was stories of, man, I got really involved in the community, started these young professional groups. From there, I learned how to like host events. And then I learned how to leverage events to attract clients, to like get into a conversation for these building projects 
that got me an opportunity inside of an e-commerce startup. And then after that, it was leveraging the story of like how we hosted Zoom calls to create these like masterminds and then promote the friendships inside the community as the value point of like the software itself got me my next client, right? So like none of it was actually these like monetary figure accomplishment things as much as I've leveraged this knowledge to accomplish something, you know, non-linear. And I believe that your non-linear thing is this, right? I don't know if that makes sense. Yeah, no, perfect sense. And I think there's so much value in learning and taking learnings from different areas and applying it back. And at the end of the day, people are still people and process is going to be processed a lot of the time. Yeah. And just having that that knowledge and, you know, fighting in the trenches and learning it is, you know, sometimes more than half of the half the battle. So kind of echoing that, like I I have found that being polymathematic. In other words, having a lot of different things under my belt that are completely different is what made my career the way that it is today. And a large majority of that has been giving credit to the most useless, ridiculous things I've ever done to be like, hey, I learned from this random encounter with this random project that I definitely didn't get paid for and definitely was not the leader of this very critical thing that you need to add to your business. And one specific example was when I was doing my anthropology and virtual worlds setup, I walked into Guild Wars 2, a video game that is definitely not something that you would expect on a resume. And I found a role-playing guild, which is definitely not something that belongs on a resume. And then while I was there, I discovered the dialectical tension between organization and communication, the way that people build shared understanding and how they communicate in order to build that. One of the most important aspects of what I teach as a social scientist, and yet the the environment where I learned it would never work well in a corporate environment on a resume, it would not get me work if I said, hey, so I studied this MMORPG and I found this group of players who were abusing the platform. I'd get laughed out of the room, but here I am as a consultant. It's one of my core learnings. I love that so much. I mean, it's just, it's so true and we don't take advantage of it. So you, and you're right in corporate world, no way. <laughs> They're like, eh, I don't know. But in life, it's, it is about those learnings. No, that's cool. Awesome. Tony, you got anything, man? I feel like... Yeah, sure. So, well, I'm curious what you think, Brett, of project experience from, from school, from university. So that's the majority of the experience that I'm trying to sell with my own company. So I think that when I'm talking to people, specifically with interviews for jobs, when I say, oh, that was my experience as a student, there's this hesitation, like, oh, like that's not real or yeah well delegitimizes it no i i think absolutely you can play it because you've learned right you're learning what's hap what's current today right you're in the groups you're in these things you're seeing what's working you're studying what's working and then being able to apply that into these businesses you don't have because if i was you the way i would and again 
my humble opinion is, you know, you're, if you're competing about somebody that's been doing it for 20 years, I mean, what worked 20 years ago doesn't work today, right? Now I try to spin that back against you, but if I'm you, you're new, you're learning, you're running everything. This is what we studied. Here's what's working in the world today, right? Everything that you've applied with it. Now you've got a couple of clients, you're up and running and it's working. So I think you can absolutely not even spin it. It's, it's true. And that's yeah. the way I would play it is, you know, that's why I got to keep learning and stay current because if I try to do what I did 15 years ago, even 10 years, five years ago, it's, it's not going to work. So, so I play your lack of some of that to your strength and not the weakness. Yeah. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm kind of positioning myself as the best of academic and, you know, modern marketing practices. Oh, we are going to be best friends. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. And then even starting applied, if you've got some outside projects that you're starting to work on, even some, you know, pro bono or low cost that you've worked and just say, hey, I've applied it here. And these are the results that we've, we've already gotten. So, you know, I think a lot of the relationship apply the, the academic for sure. And then once you start to build some of the use cases, then it's the perfect blend. Yeah. One of the kind of following up on that, I have an academic brand and an academic background myself, very, very much so. And I pride the fact that the academic institutions I was a part of give me a massive leg up in my industry because I came in already understanding how cultures are built and how cultures work in online communities. And yet this is what's funny. My entire industry is currently saying that it's new, it's burgeoning, it's developing. And I'm like, look, the principles from 80 years ago still apply to culture. It doesn't matter whether it's happening on a computer. And you've never heard the term power distance before. You've never researched or understood the definition of culture or community in an anthropological or an academic sense. So I get to tout all of these very 101 things that I learned in a freshman academic institution. And everyone's like... Genius. Absolutely fantastic. And I'm over here going, yeah, it's just because you you don't trust the academic institutions that are there. And I've managed to make this notion of academia doesn't matter in marketing work for me by principle of saying, here's an adage that ex has existed for 80 years. Now call me smart. Great. Now hire me. Now guess where I heard it. I love it. That's awesome. Well, that was awesome, y'all. Simon, you got something else to say? I was just going to say, I think, Tony, I think the, the, the key for you would, would, in my brain is that it's all about reframing it, right? And so what Venya said really clearly was she reframed the, the academic thing in the same way that anybody, any one of us is reframing the experience things, right? So we all, we all take it as, as experience, but you know, the knowledge that, that where is where all that came from. That's, that's what you have to offer. I think yeah. that that's making sure that that's your message, right? Is that it's not, it's not, oh, it's not, I learned. It's, hey, I studied, man. <laughs> I took the years to do this. And, and I think that you're right. It, or I think that Venya said it, it's pretty common to, to dismiss the, the academic thing, right? But no, nah, man, like there's folks, there, there's a reason that you spent the years doing that and you reframing it with the same oomph as the experience that you have will we'll pay yeah. huge dividends. That's all I got. Really? 
Well, I hope that was really valuable to you. Like I said, uh, take this as an opportunity. If you've got a, an issue that you're working with that you need some advice on from my community or from an expert that I can bring in, I'm happy to facilitate that discussion. And it all starts after the internet talk show on, t- on Mondays at uh, 5.30. So you can show up for the show, you can stick around for the open mic session, or you can just show up for the open mic session somewhere around 5.30. But uh, I want to see you there. So let me know what I can help with. And if you got a friend that's in this situation, send them to the show. And of course, got to thank my team, as always. Number one, I always thank Roanne because she just keeps me doing all the things I need to be doing as the account manager on this project. Gina, who's built this amazing world-class culture and brought us a, an amazing team and recruited amazing talent, like her right-hand Marge, who makes everything happen. Um, JP, our employee number one, who does all the all the cool stuff, right? He's making all the videos, he's making all the all the audio stuff, everything that you see and touch is touched by the creative uh, director of our company, JP, employee number one, who is training another awesome creative, Philippe, to um, you know follow in his footsteps and do great things for us, like the client activations that we do for our clients, repurposing that type of content. All helped by Rita, our content strategist, who basically takes the things that we promise and make sure that you get the results that we say um, based on the content that we are creating, right? Like making sure it's all congruent, the story is right, that you're getting the results that you need. Our two awesome account managers, uh, Joanna and Joyce, and our amazing superstar writer, Nicola, who's been my buddy now for going on like four or five years. He's turning into a man. When I first started mentoring him when he was 13, and he interviewed me on a podcast, and now he's becoming a world-class writer. So I want to thank the whole team, and I want to encourage you to always, always consider the impact of relationships being more valuable than transactions. See you next week.